Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to the MMA Fan Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you... Blake. Right, quickly, before we get on with the episode, we've got an announcement. The MMA Fan Podcast is now sponsored by Free Train. Blake, what's Free Train? Free Train is a fantastic company that do these amazing vests for when you run, when you train. Whether you're going for a run or hitting the bag, you can keep your phone close to your chest. And uh, yeah, they're brilliant. They've got a little pocket for your keys. You know more do you need to have your phone rumbling around in your pocket or at an awkward angle on your arm or anything like that. You've got the vest on. Phones there, easy access to it. They do some great uh, gloves as well to keep your hands warm and be able to touch the phone and everything. It's all linked up with your phone. So, yeah, they're a fantastic brand. A couple of pockets for your keys, everything you need when you go for a run or if you're hitting the bag training. And you're not just saying this for the sake of it. Before they even become our sponsors, you had one of these vests, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah, I've, well, I've still got it. I run with it all the time. But yeah, before they became our sponsors, I had one of these vests. They are genuinely brilliant. I really like them. And uh, yeah, I'm really pleased they're our sponsor. And if you want one, if you head over to freetrain.com, when you go shopping and you put all your stuff in your in your basket just before you check out, if you put in the code MMAFAN, you'll save yourself 10%. Don't say we don't spoil you here on this podcast. 10% off an amazing vest from Free Train. www.freetrain.com. All right, let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to the MMA Fan Podcast. I am Stu Whiffin. I'm one half of the presenting duo sitting opposite me, uh, looking handsome as ever, Blake Harrison. Hello. Thank you very much, sir. No worries, man. I thought I'd just kind of uh, big you up a little bit there. Oh, it's nice. It's a change of pace, really. Normally, it's either yeah. taking the mic or we're just being really unprofessional. <laughs> I can't even say hello. That's nice that we started with a little compliment. That's lovely. I uh, mean, you didn't repay it. I, I only threw it out there because I thought something <laughs> might come back. <laughs> you look lovely to me. You look tanned, actually. Thank you. you look slightly Thank tanned. You. Um, Thank you very much. Shall we talk about our guest today? Let's do that. Who so we got? Today, we have uh, MMA journalist and uh, pod god... Sean Sheehan, who uh, is over at Severe MMA. He's got his Severe MMA podcast. Uh, he works for the Severe MMA website. And uh, he's been following the sport for a really long time. You might recognize him 
uh, from having his name pop up on that bottom left side of the screen uh, during a, a lot of really big fights because he's not only like James Arthur, where he gets his stuff put up on the screen, but uh, the UFC uh, put up uh, a lot of what he thinks of the scoring as well, which is which is amazing. So he is kind of one of your go-to guys in terms of like understanding the judging criteria, breaking down fights as they happen. And the UFC really values his opinion, which is why they put his, uh, his name up there and, and his opinions up there on the screen during the fight. So he's uh, very well known in the world of MMA and highly respected in the world of MMA. So I don't really know how we've got him on this show, but uh, it's happened. <laughs> And yeah, and you're going to get to find out um, why uh, these organisations take his opinions so seriously. Um, and regarding the, the, the judging criteria, we go in on that as well, and we get some real wisdom uh, from Sean regarding that on scoring rounds and stuff. So uh, you're in for a treat today, and uh, yeah, you're going to come out of it definitely um, more educated uh, on the world of MMA. Certainly I did. Yeah, absolutely. And he's, he's got on, Sean Sheehan is his, uh, is his name. And you search that on Twitter and you'll find on his pin tweet, uh, um, that, that's that video on the judging. And also, if you put in judging criteria into YouTube, he says this during the interview as well. Go and look at that stuff. It really will educate you on, on the judging criteria. And uh, that's a big, a big thing with MMA is that you get people getting angry at the judges or, or, or scoring fights incorrectly because they don't fully understand the judging criteria. And we talk about that during this chat as well. Um, so yeah, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, it's Sean Sheehan. Nice to meet you, buddy. How are you guys? Nice to meet you too. Thanks very much for having me. Yeah. Appreciate it. No, man, it's been a pleasure. We're really looking forward to it. Uh, sorry, I was a bit late there. I was rifling through my emails looking for the Zoom link and I was like, oh yeah, <laughs> it's not, it's not <laughs> my emails. <laughs> No, I, do, do you know what? We, um, we, we've had a few that have been not late, but just literally like not turn up. Oh. We won't name any names, but uh, is that a common thing? Have you had yeah, that as well? I, I, well, I'll name him. Norman Park. I had him on the, <laughs> well, I was going to have him on the podcast once. I'm still waiting for him. I'm, I'm, still, I'm still waiting for a reply. He had a fight at one stage and we were like, I don't know if he asked me to come on the podcast or something, but I remember it was like, uh, all right, I'll have you on at three o'clock on a Thursday or whatever. And uh, it was like three o'clock and I'd like send him a Zoom link or whatever it was. I, I don't even think it was Zoom back then. Half three, send him the link again. Four o'clock, send him the link again. I was there till like five o'clock. I was like, he's not showing up, is he not? Oh, never got a reply. And, just never mentioned it again anytime I spoke to him after that. It's just... and, and what's weird as well is if you're, you're on that Zoom call just waiting for him <sighs> to pop up. And it's, it's, it's different if it's like me and Blake. But if I'm just doing like my other podcast on my own. Yeah. And they're like an hour late. It's just an hour looking at yourself on a screen. <laughs> it's so weird. It's the most depressing thing ever. <laughs> it's, it's tragic. Because <laughs> like, I, I do my recordings on OBS. And you know, you could see like the Zoom screen on OBS. And I'm just like looking at it. Oh, maybe it'll, maybe it'll pop up there. Maybe it'll pop up there. And I'm like looking at it for Hoping one of them will pop up. It's like it's never popping up, is it? Oh my God. It's the worst. I, I, I just lie to people and go, I've studio time between like three and four so hopefully they turn up and say well I'd be gone out of here and four and uh, yeah but people just don't listen they don't care the MMA fighters I'm sure you're learning it are the absolute worst at showing up on time or just taking any instructions whatsoever can you put in earphones what are earphones what are you <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, we've definitely had a few. We had, um, yeah, we had a, a couple that have been just late, but they've been like contacting us and apologising and then whatever. Mm-hmm. Then we've had one that missed it because they were on a big night out yeah. and uh, in like <laughs> Miami, and we were doing all the like time different stuff and all that. But they did us the, the day after, and I can't. But there's definitely one that yeah. like just did not turn up at all, and we've heard nothing from since. <laughs> and we've even messaged yeah. to be like. Hey, do you, do you still want to do it? And they just blank, no. completely ghosted us. Completely oh, ghosted oh, us. Oh, what happens? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay. Right. Well, let, should we? Um, should we? Should we start? Sure. Let's do it. Right, well, I'm quite happy for this to be the start. I don't know about you. You've named someone, Sean. So I don't know if you're going out. Let's leave it in. This is it. In our We're all in. We're going game. rogue. We're going rogue. If you want to do that interview, hit me off. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's let's start, but let's, let's the people have been listening for a while anyway. Um, so, what the first things first, Sean? Like, what made you an MMA fan? Can you pinpoint the moments where you went, "Oh, this is this is for me." This and just quickly, this is Sean Sheehan of uh, the Severe MMA podcast. For those that had no idea who we're talking to, by the way, oh, we, we always do an intro afterwards. We'll, we'll get. We'll, don't worry, mate. We'll give you the old pod god treatment. Don't I love worry. It. I love we'll it. give you. Yeah. Uh, I I don't know. I pinpoint the moment, but I was in uh, I was in college down in Cork in uh, 2006, and uh, a, fr- a friend of mine. So we had we had um, chorus. It was called at the time, which had like seven channels, and we only have the the four in Ireland. So we had extra channels, and we had um, Satanta Sports, and you just get the Ultimate Fighter on it. I think it was like season. People probably tell me in 2006, season three or four, and one of my friends used to come down every single week and like just make us watch the ultimate fighter and i hated it at the start i was like oh this blood and guts this is terrible how can anyone watch this and then every week he kept coming back and i kind of kept watching and i was like well you know it's not too bad and i started reading websites and things like that and was like well you know this is a real sport there's real skill and i became one of them fans kind of very quickly and i suppose i had a job then uh, i was watching kind of on and but not maybe not on and off but as much as you can i suppose in college and then i, I got a job straight after college and uh, I was living actually with like loads of Spanish students who didn't speak a word of English in in a house for 10 weeks. So I was basically just in my room by myself the whole time with the internet. And I was just watching fights nonstop, going back for watching, you know, Forrest Griffin fights or, you know, Heist Gracie, Ken Shamrock. And that was before Fight Pass. So I was attempting to find them anywhere I could. So I suppose that's, that was kind of, I suppose, the start of me becoming an MMA fan and then obviously into like covering a bit of MMA now, but uh, yeah, I can blame my uh, my friend Dahi for uh, for starting me off and for forcing <laughs> me to watch the uh, the uh, the Ultimate Fighter, which is you know now maybe not great, but at the time was absolutely fantastic. I think that's a very common way in, mm-hmm. isn't it, the Ultimate Fighter? Because I think I, I, I personally remember like uh, watching. Like we had Bravo. Do you know yeah. that channel, Bravo? Yeah, yeah so we had Bravo, and, and all the kind of the Chuck Liddell, Tito Ortiz days and Matt Hughes and like that was on Bravo and I remember watching it just on and off it wasn't like nowadays where you can just like record it and all that stuff like back then you were putting in your VHS and setting a timer and all, I can't even remember how we did any of that stuff but so I'd watch it if I stumbled across it mm-hmm. and then it wasn't until probably much much later than you I think there was the the John Jones Chael Sonnen mm-hmm. Ultimate Fighter series where I think it was BT or Satanta one of those it would have been BT at that stage I'd say yeah yeah, and then 
I just stumbled across that and watched the whole series and was like, oh, no, I'm, I'm really hooked now. And then just started watching every fight card going and stuff. It's funny, the, the kind of the longer you get into watching MMA, there are more ways people have in. And it is, you know, you could say, I've seen some people said, you know, they watched a terrible season of The Ultimate Fighter, the one with Neil Magny. And I remember that I, I, it was like an awful season. Two fighters came from it and people said, oh, I watched that, I got in and I, I enjoyed it. Or, you know, they watched a single Conor McGregor fighter. They watched, you know, all the way back to season one of The Ultimate Fighter. The ways you get into MMA are very odd. I even saw um, my boy Robbie Fox talking this week, saying the amount of people in America during the quarantine that got into it when, you know, they were locked up and there was not none but the UFC. And it's a little bit different than this side of the world because it's on so late and I think it's more of an effort than the fa- fans here. I was even listening said a couple of years podcasts. I feel I feel like when you become an MMA fan this side of the world it is an obsession there's there's like yeah there's a few casuals now because of the McGregor stuff but if you discovered MMA before Conor McGregor and you liked it it became something that you're absolutely obsessed with and it doesn't matter if you're me sitting in college or I was listening to James Arthur talking to you and you're like a world star you just get obsessed with this thing and it, yeah. it kind of just takes over your life but I, I think it's very interesting you say you know watching a couple of episodes of the ultimate fighter it was the same for me back in the day and it does like it doesn't even have to be great mma it's like pro wrestling as well i used to love the ultimate fighter and it turns out our the ultimate uh, the ultimate warrior and it turns out the ultimate warrior was absolutely terrible at wrestling and uh and <laughs> philly got loads of people into it still so it's uh, it's funny the way people kind of take it up i suppose I think something that you said there, you know, uh, uh, about, you know, you become obsessed and especially this side of the, the, the water. And, and, and I think a lot of that, that, that it, because it was on random channels at the time mm-hmm. and the fact that it wasn't on at hours that were necessarily convenient to, you know, sitting and watching on a, on a, a Saturday evening, uh, you know, you'd have to kind of start for it or you'd have to record it or you'd have to search for it somewhere. I think that journey of having to find it meant that you cherished it that little bit more. And it felt like a little bit of a, an exclusive club. It felt like, all oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm uh, I, 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 did, did you see that? And there weren't many people talking about it. And I think it just felt a little bit of a, of a, you know, a gang and it was a quest to find it. And I think mm. a lot of people have since, I mean, I'm sure we'll get on to, um, you know what I guess some people call casuals, but I, I you know, I, I don't necessarily have a problem with with part-time MMA viewers. I think that's how you become, you know, a, a big fan. But I'm sure we'll get on to that. But I do think a lot of it comes down to the fact that it wasn't readily available and you had to go and search for it and that that's what made you want it yeah i, I remember let, let's say you're a fan who just discovered mma now right and you you watch the Poirier mcgregor fight at the weekend it's very easy to go back and watch the first Poirier mcgregor fight or the second one or you know even the third one now when, when i started watching i remember i obviously went back and watched season one of the ultimate fighter and i think um and obviously that ended with Forrest Griffin uh, versus Stephen Bonner. And they fought again for a second time. And I think it was just around then that I was kind of looking back for fights. And I looked for the second fight. And I could not find that second fight anywhere. <laughs> it was just impossible to find. And I was looking up, there used to be like a UFC.TV. And I was like a, just out of college, a poor student. I think it was like, I don't know, it was like a hundred euro for the year or something. I was like, I can't afford that. I'm not saying that. So I went, <laughs> I went years without seeing that fight. And it wasn't until Fight Pass came out that I was ac- I actually was able to see it. So there was there was so many fights like that. But I think the, these days as well, it's a little bit tougher because there 
uh, there are so many fights it's impossible to catch up. You know, when I let's say when I started watching, when you started watching, you could almost go back, and I think I nearly did it. Went back and watched all the UFCs, most of the Prides, WECs, even Cage Warriors, and different things like that. Now it's impossible. You can, it's impossible to even keep up with all the MMA that's going on at the moment. So I feel for fans these days a little bit because uh, you know we there's always this noob sting going on in MMA where people give out about new fans. And I've never had problems with new fans or new uh, you know our casual fans or anything like that. I've always tried to get people into MMA, and the more people watching is, is better. But uh, the, the, the struggles are different these days. That's it. They were back uh, back in my day. Absolutely. And you, you mentioned there about like there being so much content and you, your podcast in, in, with the Severe MMA podcast, you, you, you don't just talk like we predominantly talk UFC, bit of Bellator and, and Cage Warriors. Mm-hmm. You seem to uh, reference LFA, one championship, uh, uh, PFL, all that stuff. I was going to say how difficult is even though it's your job. Mm-hmm. Is it really difficult to keep up with it? And also, I know, I think you are you you have like a partner and stuff. How how often are you like? Sorry, babes, we can't go out this weekend because there's twenty fight cards going on. And she's like, for God's sake, Sean, yeah. we need to have a social life. Yeah, every uh, every weekend the way we have is on like a Tuesday. <laughs> so it's, it's yeah, it's, it's, she's not too bad because uh, her job is kind of on the weekend as well. So it's not, and she usually has like Monday and Tuesday off. So we're grand. We're not too bad that way. But um, yeah, like I beforehand or before a few years ago, I used to cover everything watch try to watch everything if something was on fight pass i was watching it if it was cage wires pfl belt i was watching absolutely everything play um prelims and everything i just i can't do it anymore there's just there's just too much um but we have a few different like we uh, we have a new show now on uh on our patreons called the chasing pack and uh one of the lads he's from ireland but he's over in canada ian o'neill he does it with me and he watches like loads of those fights the one and we call it the chasing pack because it's everything but the ufc you know if the one's chasing the ufc so we talk about mm. bellator if there's an lfa card coming up if there's a brave card and we put all of them in there together because i feel like that's a thing that is kind of underreported because the reporters reporting on mma just simply don't have the time to do it it's impossible um and ian is absolutely great for that like i i watch things when i can you know I, I, we we touch on things when we can but it is look it is mostly ufc and the, the i think the difference between us and maybe other people covering the podcast is that we like i remember i, I reported on someone uh making their pro debut this week <clears throat> and i also report on someone signing for the ufc and i'll also report on the title fight and stuff like that so i feel like because of the way we start off and we're obviously in ireland and you know there aren't many people covering the sport in ireland at the moment so we like we get news and we talk about the the people coming right up and then the people are like right at the top like uh, graham who does the podcast with me is uh, one of the guys who is responsible for the the conor mcgregor documentary so he's been with him for years and years and years you know uh, around the scene and everything and even like I've seen James Gallagher fight in amateurs and I've seen you know loads of guys coming through and I feel like that kind of gives a different perspective and a different look at MMA that you don't maybe get with like the, the biggest and, and best uh, covering uh, the, the sport at the moment and we do obviously as you know like cover cage warriors and, and things like that and, and people on the way up I think that's fun like for sometimes going through the UFC card I was doing a podcast the other day and I promised I'd do like a look ahead to the weekend and I was going through this UFC card this weekend and I was like you know who cares really like who really cares there's a a couple of these fights that they're probably going to be fun and you know 
maybe a little bit no, no newsworthy, but like, is there any jeopardy on them? Is there any like future champions coming from this? May, like maybe one or two. But I think when you look at guys coming up through it and you see like, say like an Ian Gary, or I know you had different lads on from Cage Warriors or say like a yeah. Palahan who now is from Ireland who's making his pro debut or Ryan Spillane or you know, Paul Hughes. To look at these guys, few fights in and go, can these guys be great? Can these guys win a championship in Cage Warriors? Can they go to the UFC? Can they do well in the UFC? That to me is, you know, where I get greatest joy. I, I'm a big Wonder Boy fan, and he's he's the only one I'm really a, a fan of in MMA. And the reason I was because I used to, you know, I'd be flicking through the channels on Sky, and you'd see this uh, this kickboxing stuff. And I very rarely watch kickboxing, but it was the one in like the uh, the big circular thing. And Wonder Boy was fighting on it with pants on, and he was kicking the heads off people. And I was like, oh, this guy's class. And I looked him up. And then I saw he had a couple of MMA fights and then he obviously got to the UFC and everything. So I known him before the UFC. I was a fan of him before I even knew he fought MMA. And that's why I think <clears throat> things like that make you a fan of people, make you interested in people, make you care about people. And that's the, the best part of looking at young, you know, uh, guys and girls as they're coming up through it in Cage Warriors and even before it and getting towards Bellator and getting towards UFC. And it just, I think it adds another layer to MMA fandom as well. Absolutely, absolutely. And so, with all of this love of MMA, why why did you start the podcast? Uh, well, <laughs> that's a, that's a, I suppose a long story. But I I started writing and covering MMA first because I just I was making picks every week, and I wanted somewhere to like store my picks basically to see how I was getting on. Um, my friend Steffi Haynes, she still does a great podcast, but she used to do a podcast and she'd have a live chat and it'd be. Every sort of person there, you know, you could get Michael Bisping in there, Dana White in there, and people who ran websites and everything. And I said, where'd be the best place to like put my picks? And uh, this guy, Dan Rose, replied and said, I have a website, fancy putting them up there. And I was like, yeah, grand. And then I started doing articles and things from there. And, and it all, uh, yeah, it, it all uh, spiraled from there, I suppose. And then Graham asked me to uh, come and write for Severe and May. But I was never a great writer. You know, I was just didn't have a talent for it. I'm better at talking shite than... <laughs> and writing and uh, uh, Andrew McGahan I'm sure, I'm sure you know moved to the MacLife later on he did uh, like the severe MMA hangout where he got a couple of people on to do interviews and I said let's let's make this into a podcast let's um, and, and like kind of give up the severe MMA hangout if you want to do interviews do interviews in person or do it different ways and uh, I said I'm kind of starting a podcast do you want to do it with me and he was like yeah let's do it so we kind of started, it wasn't one of those things where you put loads of effort into it, you've all the graphics started out, you've a microphone started out and everything. The first 35 episodes of that podcast were dreadful. I remember uh, <laughs> I bought a microphone off of Amazon, right? And it was a USB mic and I plugged it in. And I realized after about 10 episodes that I hadn't selected the microphone in my settings. So <laughs> it was just recording my laptop audio for 10 straight episodes and it's I was like this microphone I paid like a hundred euro for it it's ru- rubbish it's worthless and it's not even recorded properly but uh yeah that was the sort of things we started off with and then you know we kind of grew and grew and uh it's it's gone uh gone on from leaps and bounds but yeah it was basically just like a let's start a podcast and I was I, I wanted to do it and I, I wasn't waiting around and I just said I'd started uh and yeah it, it obviously has gone from there you said that you, you you know you're better at talking shite and and <laughs> I mean that's not why people tune into your podcast. Um, Blake and I made it clear from day one that you know we're not experts. We're just armchair fans that that just want to 
have a chat about you know some fights and if we get to chat to fighters bonus <laughs> um so there's no pressure on, on on us whereas i think with what you do um i think a lot more people listen to you because you're very concise with your breakdowns and the way you talk about mma and so do you feel like a, a weight of responsibility to be able to you know deliver that uh it in ways i suppose like i feel my way to responsibility is to tell the truth from my side, uh, point of view i remember i was i was always a very kind of uh, argumentative person when it comes to sports not in normal life i would say boot a goose but like one of my friends um i remember we were having an argument one one time just about like man united versus liverpool or something and uh I, I we were having like just total disagreement, and he he said to me, I, I I'm just saying it the way it is, and I said, you're not saying it the way it is, you're saying it the way you see it, right? And that's those are two very different things. And what I try to do is I don't tell it the way it is on the podcast. I try to tell it the way I see it, and that that's not an easy thing to do. Believe me, especially when Conor McGregor just fought. And if you think. That I, I was actually listening to your podcast and you said the same thing as me, that like McGregor on the ground, I'm sure maybe, maybe we get into McGregor in a while, but like it, that period on the ground, he didn't do as badly as it looked, right? And that's a very mm. that's a very hard thing to say when you're Irish and you're supposed to be calling it down the middle with Conor McGregor and when everyone listening to you is just expecting you to be a McGregor fanboy. For me, to, that that's a, like that's where I feel the pressure, like to, to come out and say that and to say the truth, fighter A versus fighter B. The rest of it is okay. I have no problem saying it. Like I've, I've, uh, I, I think in MMA, one thing that we have a big issue with is being too soft on people and being too kind to fighters. Like if Man United have a terrible display at the weekend, Gary Neville's going to come out and say they were rubbish, they defended badly. I remember one time Arsenal played badly and he absolutely attacked them on the television, said they gave up and everything. We rarely have that in MMA, very, very rarely. And it, there's the problem with that in MMA is, I suppose people are so badly paid and it's a very different sort of job and a different way of putting yourself on the line. But I think there's... Uh, we have a trouble in them as well with parking things and discussing and analyzing things in different ways. If you want, want to analyze fighter pay, it's one thing, but if you want to analyze a fighter's performance, it is another thing. It's fighter A versus fighter B. And that's what I try to do as well. Let's look, it's it's not as easy, <laughs> it's not as easy as it looks and stuff, but I, I feel like my responsibility uh is just to tell the truth as I see it. Uh, and I try to do that every time. There's there's other you know other parts of MMA as well, like judging, where it's not as I see it. It's factual. And to get the facts out is one thing I've really tried to do over the last while. Um, and uh, that's <laughs> MMA is not always a fact-based science, but uh, it's uh, it's something I've been striving to do. But I don't, I don't like to, I don't feel the pressure to do anything except say what I feel like is right because people tune into me because of that. They don't tune into me because they want to hear something else or they want to hear bullshit or they want to hear whatever. They tune in because they want to hear what I have to say and they want to hear the way I say it. And that's fair enough. I'm confident enough in the years I've put into it that there are people out there that want to say that. If there weren't, I'd probably still be saying it anyway because I don't care. But uh, yeah, I, 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 I feel a responsibility, but just... It, it's good. It's a good responsibility and I enjoy it, to be honest. Well, I mean, there's, I could go off in loads of different directions from that answer. And we definitely are going to get on to, to Connor in a bit because, of course, we would after the weekend we've had. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of like what you're saying about 
we're not harsh on fighters mm-hmm. and stuff like that. I think there's probably a there's probably a group of people that go, well, why would I want to be harsh to a fighter? Because if I bump into them, they might <laughs> talk to me about yeah. it. But also, there's that thing of like, it is a very different thing to football, I think, in terms of like, and I know that I can, again, I can only speak from what my perspective would be on it. Mm-hmm. And I've I've admitted on this podcast that I get more, I'm more awestruck and starstruck by fighters than I am by musicians or actors or anything like that. So I'm coming at it from a maybe slightly biased position. But when we saw like, for example, Stephen A. Smith criticize Cowboy, there was part of me that went, oh, well, maybe an element of him's right. But I would never say that a fighter just gave up considering what they go through to get there. I know in that situation there's probably not much weight cutting done for cowboy and connor going to 170 and stuff but when they go for a thing they go in terms of the weight cuts the sacrifices the fact that they're in that cage on their own and they know they're not staring at someone that wants to take a ball around them and put it in the back of a net they're staring at someone that wants to knock them unconscious Mm -hmm. so i think or i like to think that the reason that a lot of people in maybe either the the media sphere or or or, or the analyst positions and stuff like that aren't as harsh is because it's hard to be mm-hmm. harsh on people that are doing that for a, a living, isn't it? I mean, I know fans do it because fans can be dickheads. Yeah, 100%. But, <laughs> and, you know, I'll put my hand up and say that I can fall <laughs> into that category as well at times. But it, 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 I would imagine it is very difficult for either fighters that have had experience or are still current fighters now that are analysts or for even people in the MMA media that have been covering it a long time mm-hmm. to be overly harsh when you know what these people go through. And you brought up fighter pay as well, which is a massive factor. It's all right if you're Connor or Dustin yeah. on your millions. It's another thing if you're opening up the prelims on like 10 and 10 or whatever mm. it is. I, when I say harsh, I don't like, I would very rarely come out and say, you know, someone, someone quit or someone gave up or anything like that. That's that's a very hard thing to say, and like unless it's very very obvious. I mean more like say someone like an OSP, right? If you look, I, mm. I watched <laughs> I watched twenty OSP fights probably. He's basically one handed, right? He can only throw his left hand. He cannot jab when he with his right hand when he turns around and he uh, fights out of the orthodox stance then he can jab because he's left hand forward and I feel like that's a very harsh thing to say right to say someone can only throw a punch with one hand but it's factual like if you look at all of his fights never never does it. he's only one handed I, I I made a joke once and it was probably it's a joke you shouldn't make but I was like he's the most one handed uh, person in MMA including Nick Newell he's, he's just he's, he's it's like it's so bad it's all but like to say that and to analyze it in that way, uh, not not the joke part, but the the, the one handed part is is a bit harsh on him. Like if he listened to podcasts, he probably he'd actually probably agree because he knows himself. You couldn't not know yourself. But I feel like things like that, and and analyzing performance, saying like you know, if someone came out and they they took someone down and they didn't land any strikes, and then they ended up losing the fight, even though they had thirteen minutes of top control. That's a bad performance because you haven't read the judging criteria. You don't understand how fights are are scored, and then you're crying and giving out about it afterwards. That's on no one but you, you know. And why wouldn't we criticize a fighter for that? Now we we can talk about whether they deserve to get paid more and everything else. But as I said, we need to park those debates in different sort of areas. But I feel like that is the area that we're a little bit soft in. And you know, I am too, to be honest as well. I don't do it. I don't do it often enough, probably. But it's. It is one of those ones where it's a very tough situation. I think you have to be, 
you have to be very, very well versed in what you're saying and have a very good argument towards it. I've thought about this a lot. Like Stephen A. Smith coming out saying it when I look, Stephen A. Smith's an MMA fan and everything like that, but he is not someone who puts lots of deep thought into it, who covers it every week, who talks about it all the time. Or like there's some great fans out there who even talk about different things. You don't necessarily need to be someone who's covering it for a living or doing it in the media to, to do it. Um, but I've always thought that. And look, I, sometimes I do get the rat. Like Richard Kiley one time, I, I, I didn't quite say he was going to get knocked out, but I was like. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If you know, if he does get knocked out in the first two or three minutes because MVP, it could be could be fun anyway. And then I interviewed him the next week, and he took serious exception to what I had said. But you know, <laughs> these, these things happen in MMA, as uh, as a famous man once said. Well, one of the things that I'm interested in as well, and and one of the things that uh, both Blake and I are, are jealous as fuck of, is the fact that um, the place that you, you've positioned yourself now within the MMA community means that as we're sitting there enjoying the events, your name pops up on the screen. <laughs> and uh, tell us about the first time you saw that and how did that feel? I can't remember, actually. Um, Come on. Uh, no, I can't, I can't it, it, it happens so regularly now. Like it. Oh, here we go. Oh, God. <laughs> I know, do you know, I will, I will get a bit cocky for a second, but like when the best thing is when you're watching uh, it with someone who like doesn't really watch MMA and stuff, and they're just like watching the fights, and it's like you know they they wake up to, to watch the fights with you at like six o'clock in the morning, and then oh, there's a world title fight. Oh, look, there's my name there on the screen. You know, that, that's the one part where it's, it's good, or you're watching it the next day or something. And uh, yeah, but uh, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's. Um, Zach Candido, the like the producer of the UFC, picks them out, I think, and puts them up. And he follows me on Twitter and has been for a while. So 
I don't know. I basically I think that's that's it. And I think as well a main part of what they want and the they pull up is people who maybe understand judging and tweet out their scores after the rounds. I think that's probably where it sims from more than anything else because my takes usually aren't that great. But uh, I do tweet out my scores and stuff. So there's a few people like Scott Fontana as well. I think was one of them and another couple as well that they that they picked those out. But uh, yeah, it's kind of cool to see them uh, to see them popped up. They're actually sponsored now as well. So I want to get some money out of that if they're. <laughs> guaranteedrate.com give me give me some money for for those tweets but that is the thing as well it's one thing for like like James Arthur is someone else that always gets put Mm. up there and it's like but he's you know he's a fan with millions of followers on social media and all that and we had him on the show and I think he does know what he's talking Mm. about to an extent but you are you're more than that. You you are almost being held up on a bit of a pedestal by the UFC to go this is one of the few people that really know what they're talking about when it comes to judging criteria and analyzing these fights. I mean, that's more than just getting you. I mean, we all joke about it and I am desperate to get my name on the screen. <laughs> I've tweeted about plenty of prelim <laughs> fights thinking no one else is tweeting about this. I'll get on there. No, nothing. But it's more than that with you because you are being, I don't know. Do you feel like vindicated in some way or something? Because the leading MMA organization is going, this is one of the few people that we pick out and show you the audience members almost what to think in a way really I, I, I haven't taken it I haven't taken it that seriously to be honest oh. you've not got drunk with power no, I don't. yeah it's it's a weird it's a weird thing when I'm a man so there's certain things right that I I do like I, I interviewed Wonderboy one time and I you know I was kind of water off a duck's back I interviewed him and I interviewed Conor McGregor and all the different people I interviewed Vincent Henderson who I've been a big fan of for years and so last week I interviewed Michael Bisping and I was like a minute into the interview. I was like, oh, fuck, I'm interviewing Michael Bisping here. <laughs> I was like, half like, shitting myself in the middle of the interview. And I was, it's, it's weird. Sometimes it just pops up or like I actually take I, I interviewed Ben Fox once. You know, the, he's a great writer and, and podcaster. Um it was before the the Paria one fight, I think, or maybe the Cerrone fight. And I was very nervous doing it because I've been a fan of his for years and the way he writes and his podcasts and everything. And I actually, I get more nervous for something like that. You know, someone who's like, oh, I've spoken to uh, on text and on DM and stuff for, for years and years and years, more than I get for a fight or, you know, having names pop up and things like that. It's, I don't know. I, I think like some of the, I think this happened for me a few years ago because we... I got on the radio a few times and on RT radio, I'd be like to, you know, the BBC two or BBC one radio or whatever it might be over in, over in the UK. And that was the thing that was huge for me at the time. I was like, well, this port's kind of taken off and I'm on national radio here. And I've done it maybe probably a hundred times over the last, maybe not that many, maybe 50 times over the last uh, six or seven years or whatever it might be. And I think, once you get to there and once you have done that, I feel like, you know, I kind of got normalized to those sorts of things. So, yeah, it's it's more of kind of water off of those back. But when I did start doing it, when I got on it, I remember at the time um, I like tweeted out that I was going to be on it. And loads of people replied, like Carl Fendred and loads of people like, oh, you're getting big time now. You're getting... And I was like, well, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, it's less shocking, I suppose, than it once was. Well, we, we, we've touched on uh, Connor as, as, as it seems it's impossible to ever do an MMA podcast or have an MMA conversation without Connor's name um, coming up. Um, and so obviously we've just come off the back of the, uh, the weekend's uh, last weekend's loss um, or stoppage uh, doctor's stoppage um, of uh, the, 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 what we hoped would have been the last fight of the trilogy 
will there be another one? So it, where I'm going with this is, what were your, what's your take on it, Sean? And where do you see both of their, them fighters' careers going now? Well, I suppose it's all down to, for, for Conor, look, from Dustin's point of view, I think he'll fight Charles Oliveira next, probably to the start of next year, maybe in, maybe in December, uh, depending on how quickly the UFC can get him out to, to fill a card. Um, so that's, I think that's simple enough that way. For McGregor, it depends how long he's going to be out. Uh, I was looking up last night, Anderson Silva was out for 13 months. Um, so that would bring him back if he came that, back that quickly, just after International Fight Week next year. I think if he, look, if, if it goes well, if the recovery goes well, if he can get back, I think he'll want to be back. I think he'll be looking at this time next year for that international fight week and trying to get back then. Um, if Dustin Poirier is the champion, that fight will happen. I I would almost yeah. guarantee it because, look, people who listen to this might say, what are you talking about? McGregor's lost two in a row. He's just off the broken leg. He needs a comeback fight. And I would agree with all of that. I would like to see him get two to three fights, handy fights, just to get back, to get his rhythm back, to get to the top. The problem with that is Conor McGregor got 1.8 million, or 1.7, I think it was, uh, pay-per-view buys at the weekend. That is huge. And when you have someone like that, and you don't have anyone else like that, they need to be at the top of the card and they need to be in big fights and they need to be, need to be in fights that people will buy that much again or buy more. And the, that simply isn't a tune-up fight and it can't be. And if you, for anyone who's seen Conor McGregor over the years or listened to him, he's not a guy for taking backward steps. He's not a guy for taking tune-up fights. Now, he had the cowboy one, fair, fair enough. And I think he was kind of determined to have that season at that stage and it didn't happen. But... I think, you know, there is unfinished business here. They both said it afterwards. Uh, and if he can get back and get healthy, I think that fight will happen next year. But the getting back and getting healthy is not guaranteed very easily, mm-hmm. not guaranteed in a year. You know, I'm sure he will get back. And I would, I 100% think he will fight again. But uh, the rehab is tough from that. I was talking to a friend of mine who's a physio. It's very, very difficult. Um, so maybe it won't be this year and maybe or, uh, this time next year and maybe probably will have to move on or something. But um it's it's all predicated on that uh, on that uh, rehab and, and everything like that. But McGregor will be back, I think. Yeah, I I completely agree. I mean, I think logically speaking, or from a meritocracy point of view, you should say let's do Connor v Tony Ferguson, or or let's do the Nate trilogy, or or even maybe RDA. There was a lot of heat there over the weekends of that. But from a business perspective, mm-hmm. it just makes all the sense in the world, and it's not fair on the other fighters if you've got someone like it will in a year's time islam makachev might <laughs> may be right up there for a title shot and he probably would get passed over for a mcgregor coming off of two losses and a, a year out of the cage because it's a business mm-hmm. and was it was the 1.8 that was that only beaten by Conor Khabib is that the highest yeah. UFC one other than Conor Khabib yeah that, that's it and that 1.8 as well is is worldwide so it's actually 1.3 in America so it's maybe not as big as as it's made out but when I, that's very very much picking at straws there because it's yeah. one, one of the biggest ever like and I remember before anything over like 400,000 was big and then anything over 800,000 when you get to uh, over 1.2 million is like great, greatest of all time so that, that's yeah. absolutely huge yeah and you did a, a, an extra, you did like a, your, what you called an interim podcast mm-hmm. this week where you, you did it because you said that you had 
like a lot of listeners or people telling you that you were being anti-McGregor and anti-Irish. <laughs> yeah. And then you had another group of people telling you that you were being a McGregor fanboy, yeah. which to me does seem, and I think you said this, sounds like you've struck the perfect balance <laughs> if you're kind of getting two groups of people with opposing views saying that you're on the other side or whatever. It seems like you probably were straight down the middle. But how is it for you? And we ask all of our fighters this and stuff as well. Like, do you get a lot of negativity on social media from people saying, oh, you've never been a fighter. What the fuck do you know? And all this kind of stuff. How do you deal with the, the kind of negativity of that? Because mm-hmm. um, you, there's only there's only so much any human being can take when they've had loads of people telling them that they're crap or, you know, whatever, whatever it is. So mm-hmm. how do you deal with any kind of negativity? I, ver- I very, very rarely get the, you're not a fighter, you've never done it stuff. Very rarely. The odd, the odd time from a fighter, which I suppose is, is fair enough, but from fans, I think, like, if they said that to me, uh, you'd have to say, well, you've never done it either. So, you know, there's, <laughs> there, there really isn't much uh, of that, to be honest. And, like, I I was talking about weight cutting before and someone said it, like, well, you don't know until you've done it. And I was like, that's actually fair enough. And that's why I try to speak to people about that, like, even judging and things, I speak to judges. But, um, I, yeah, there's a lot of negativity. Uh, Conor McGregor retweeted one of my tweets the other two days ago or something like that. And to see that, to see the replies to that, I think there was like 1.8 million impressions on the tweet or something and like hundreds and hundreds of replies. And uh, to see... Can I just ask, what did you say? Was it favourable in for uh, McGregor? Yeah, or was so it... I, I said, I was actually... It wasn't incorrect, but it was like uh, not up to date. I said McGregor has had seven of the top nine biggest drawing setting pay-per-views of all time. I didn't tag him or anything. He, just, and he obviously just saw it. he's actually at eight out of ten, but it's seven of nine is, is still correct. Anyway. But he retweeted that and everyone was like, yeah, but he's rubbish. Yeah, but he, how many of those has he won? And just, and like, obviously that's the sort of stuff you're going to get, but there was some vile stuff, like, you know, terrible stuff. Look, McGregor's drawn a lot of it on himself, no doubt, but I was just like looking at the replies and it's off. Like even, even to me when I'm, if I do a video or if I do something on say, go on submission radio, I'm sure on this and the replies there will be people saying you know bad things all the time when I started doing it at the start I remember I used to look at my phone and I had like fucking 500 Twitter followers or something and have one negative comment and I'd be there I couldn't sleep at night looking at it on my phone I'm like oh no what's going on? why did these people say and he, all they said was oh you you picked Junior Dos Santos to win and he lost and I'm like no why would you pull, pull, pull that up <laughs> but now now there's just so much of it it's water off a duck's back it's like uh <laughs> my misses sometimes I would uh, oftentimes uh, usually when I'm on submission radio um, I look at the comments because I think they're hilarious and I take a screenshot of like the worst one or a bad one and I like put it up and my missus goes mad she's like how can these people say these things about you how like you're <laughs> such a nice person how can I? and I'm like well I'm not that nice one and two I don't care to be honest so uh, yeah like I think it's I'm sure you guys know it as well like the, the negativity and you're probably getting it's, for, for you it's probably a lot worse you're probably getting roared at the street <laughs> and stuff like that or in, in a nightclub <laughs> with some drunken idiots but I've had a that's why I haven't been to a nightclub for <laughs> yeah. many, many oh, years I, for that uh, reason. I'll tell you a quick story here. I, I was at a, an MMA event once in, in the O2 in, in Dublin. I think it was, it was Bellator, yeah. And I was sitting on Press Row. And um, so there was Press Row is like right here. And then at the side, there is like the, the VIP kind of section. But people can walk down and there's there was like a, there's like a gateway there. So I was just sitting on my laptop, you know, tweeting out the results or whatever. 
and this guy comes down and there was, he was like stood alongside the security guard and uh, he was like, you scored that fight 10-8 and it was a 10-9, you got it wrong and you were supposed to know about judging. And I was like, what? Uh, what, what? I got to turn over. I was like, what, what's going on? And he was like, this fight, and I didn't know what the guy was talking about and he was just like hurling abuse at me. And uh, I was like, I looked at the security guard and the security guard was like, Is it, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, I'm fine. And he just stayed there for like five minutes and I was just like typing it. And I was like, wait, this is what like Facebook commenters look like in, in real life. He's just <laughs> showing at me. And this, eventually the security guard like took him away. But then later he came down again and I was walking on. So you walk out like the back to do the interviews in the back. And I like saw him coming for me as I went down. I was like, what the fuck is going on in here? And I just like quickly like moved behind the curtain like that. But he attempted to come down a couple of times more again just because I had scored around 10-8 and he thought it was 10-9 or something like that. Just absolutely fucking insane. So yeah, I'm glad those people, I don't see them in real life too much. But uh, yeah, they're always online as well. But yeah. Do you reckon they were like a relative of the fighter that you gave the eight to? I don't even know what the fight was. Like, it was just bizarre altogether. But yeah, it's look, you, it, I, I think there's a lot, obviously, a lot of talk these days about online abuse and different things like that. Yeah. <sighs> honestly i don't know how you solve it but like if you're going to be online if you're going to put yourself out there like i uh, i i've done probably three thousand podcasts now at this stage if no one took exception to anything i i said i probably haven't said anything worthwhile so you know it's it's uh it's not necessarily a bad thing for me but it's something that i've had to learn to live with i've had absolutely no option but to learn to live with it uh, if i want to continue doing what i'm doing but uh yeah i, I don't find it too uh too bad to be honest Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Well, I'd like to sort of we we we, we spoke about um, Connor, uh, but there's another fight that, that that got announced last week or, or this week, in fact, mm-hmm. that I just want to get your, your your thoughts on as well, Sean, and that's Nick Diaz and mm-hmm. Robbie Lawler. Yeah, I mean, did did anyone see that one coming? I think people have been calling for it. And like the the OG MMA fans, let's say, have been wanting this fight for a long, long time. Like Nick hasn't fought in, in a good while. Now. I, I could be wrong, but I think he's won one UFC fight in 14 years or something like that. Uh, so to, 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 see, to, to see him win or to have another fight of one, he won like, 16 years ago or whatever it was I think people are dying to see that you know Robbie Lawler has become a fan favourite as well over the years and it's look it, it makes a lot of sense because I don't think anyone thinks Nick Diaz is where he was in his prime I don't think anyone thinks Robbie Lawler is that where he was in his prime you want both of them to fight again perfect match them up together so I'm, I'm looking forward to it. the fact it's a five rounds uh, I'm calling him a Diaz bout now the five round non-main event non-title fights um I think that's a thing the UFC and I think the Diaz brothers kind of smartly are doing to give themselves a bit of an advantage because I think Robbie Lawler will win that fight. But if Nick Diaz, he's unbelievably fit and the same with Nathan, 
if they can drag it into the fourth and fifth round, that's an advantage for them. And they don't even need to win. You saw when Nathan against Leon Edwards, he got yeah. he landed one punch and he was the winner of the fight, basically, you know, coming out of it, even though he didn't get his hand raised at the end. Uh, I think the Diaz rules are different to everyone else. But uh, yeah, I think Robbie Lawler will win that fight, but I'm looking forward to seeing him. It's amazing how they can, they've just created this aura around them. As you say, one win in 14 years. You would think, I mean, there's enough people hating on Connor for not winning for like a year and a half or whatever it is. Not winning in 14 years, but yet they have this, this their army, isn't it? It's the Diaz army. They they have this aura about them where it doesn't matter whether they win or lose. Mm. It only matters that they turn up, get bloodied, hopefully hurt the other person in front of them and maybe flip a few middle fingers during press conferences and all that kind of stuff. And that's all they need to do. And people just love them mm-hmm. for it. That's, that's a thing that was more prevalent in MMA a while back. And I actually think we need to get it back. Like someone to me, like Mikel Pereira, who's like jumping around the cage and throwing all these yeah. mad stuff. And it's kind of gone away. He's got away from that a little bit in his last two fights. I'm like, bring that back. It doesn't matter if you lose. It and I know he wants to become a champion and everything, but that's no fun for me. Like, it's, 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 I, I love care about your goals no, and aspirations Michelle Pereira I want to have a laugh and see you backflip on people exactly I remember I showed that fight to my knee and she was like this is my new favourite fighter I love him he's the best and that's the sort of thing you get even with Taito Ivasa at the weekend you see everyone cheering him as he came out to the Spice Girls that's how you build and people love like Diego Sanchez Diego Sanchez is, I don't care if he wins or loses, he's just so fun. And every time he fought, I was there to watch it. I think, like, Diego Sanchez should be by himself. I know he's a fight in the Hall of Fame, but he should be in the Hall of Fame. Because MMA is not just about wins and losses and other Hall of Fames, you know, I don't know, baseball and all them about your, your RBI or whatever that shite is. MMA is about entertainment as well as the fighting, as well as being successful, as well as being great. And there's been some fantastic fighters down through the years who haven't been the most successful, but who people have loads of respect for just because they were fun. Like someone like a Joel Ozan was never going to be a champion, was never in like the debate even to have a title shot. Maybe a little bit closer at once, but a very fun fighter, a finisher, like Cowboy as well. Okay, he fought for the title, um, but like never, never really got, you know, near winning it, uh, even when he got there. But still, a fun fighter down through the years who people have, have always loved. I think MMA, we. Clay Guida. Shout yeah, out to yeah, Clay Guida. Exactly. MMA, people love that. Like, there's Clay Guida fans out there who would live and die for a Clay Guida fighter. The same with Diego or, you know, Forrest Griffin. And I know Forrest won the championship, but like loads of people down through the years. And I feel like if I could teach one thing to new MMA fans coming in, to just be like that. Be appreciative of not just people who you become fans of and you know say like a McGregor or whoever it might be but people who are fun and like you you should want to gravitate towards those people who are their main objective is to go out there and have an insane fight because we need more of that MMA is becoming it's becoming less like that it's becoming more predictable it's becoming a little bit more boring than it once was and I, that's why I like I talk an awful lot about judging and stuff but I think the criteria looking for more damage and more shots to be landed is good because it'll make the sport more exciting when people get a, a better uh, you know a better read on what it takes to win a fight and I feel like the more exciting fighters in the years to come will actually have more an advantage uh, as as we go on as maybe the, the technique evens itself out but uh, yeah I, th- I think we need that in MMA and wins and losses as I say aren't as important in MMA as they are in, in other uh, in other sports we, we look we see that with Conor McGregor and we see it with other people as well but uh, yeah the value of entertainment I think in MMA is huge 
Well, you mentioned the judging criteria there, and you did a fantastic video that you put out probably a long time ago now mm-hmm. about the, the the judging criteria. And I recommend any listener now to look up Sean. Is it pinned on your Twitter? Yeah, or it's pinned on my Twitter. If you look up MMA judging, it's like one of the first things. It's a big red video that says MMA judging criteria. Yeah. Yeah. And it's 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 brilliant, and it's really really good. It breaks down the judging criteria insanely well even for someone with my tiny brain it made perfect sense so it it is absolutely perfect i recommend any mma fan that's serious you know go go and watch this video it'll really help you when you're kind of scoring fights at home but with that said what are say the the two because i I just want to uh (laughs) most common mistakes that you see or hear from mma fans when they are judging fights at home or in the pub with their mates or whatever it is what are the two things that you go oh that again it's not true uh well okay the two things would be octagon control would be number one and in 10 eights as well so uh, we, we could put maybe both together but octagon control you know when you're pushing forward yeah that so there's just three ways to score fights in mma effective grappling and striking you're punching your submissions two is effective aggression so it's your forward control and pushing making the person go back and then the third one is the octagon control it's basically controlling the area where the fight is happening if you land one more punch so the first criteria the the grappling and strike if you land one more punch the other two are completely ignored you could be pushing forward for the whole five minutes of the round i land one counter punch and i win the round that's how mma judging is is uh scored so octagon control unless it's a 10 10 round and are going towards a 10-10 round uh, and that one punch has been landed, then it's a 10-9 because you control the octagon. Never happens. Hasn't happened in a UFC fight unless it is... You know, the reason they use it and the reason they have it there, basically, and they have a 10-10 round there as well, is for rounds like you go into the fifth round and there's an accidental headbutt and there's 30 seconds gone in that round, Right it's impossible to score sometimes, but so you give them maybe a 10-10. But if there is a couple of punches landed, or if there's no punch landed and someone is pushing forward, well, you score that 30 seconds and you maybe, the person would win that with octagon control. It's not for a five-minute round. It doesn't score in a five-minute round when there are 30 punches to 28 punches and the impact of those punches is, is the big thing there as well. So that's why it's there. It's a backup. It's it's a thing that should be like an addendum in the criteria more than actual part of the criteria. And then on the 10-8s, the Michael Bisping did a video this week in or this week about the 10-8s and he did a good job but he he didn't go far enough so when score like you get to the end of the round right and it's a round that's pretty dominant for one person and you're thinking should that be a 10-9 or should that be a 10-8 there's one thing you should go to when you talk about that and they're called the three d's right damage and they call it impact in the scoring damage duration and dominance so the damage is obviously the uh the strikes landed the if, if you get someone an arm bar and you break their arm or you know you hurt someone in in a certain way or have them in in pearl with a submission or strikes damage like that duration is obviously the length of time and the dominance is how long you have been ahead of that person in the round so those are the three d's and if you look at the end of the round right and you have all three of those so someone has landed damage they have done it for a long time and they've been dominant. That's a 10-8 every single time. If you have those three things, it's a 10-8. If you have one of them, if you just have damage and if it's enough damage, that can be a 10-8 also. 
but it doesn't have to be a 10 8. You it's to be considered. If you have two of them, any of the two, if you have you're dominant for a long time and you have uh are dominant for a long time, so you have the duration and the dominance, you consider it. So so, say someone like uh, a, a perfect example is like a, a say a James Webb fought against Natalia's Frederick and Cage Warriors, and he got on top of him and he spent four and a half minutes on top, right, and landed some shots. So he had the duration, and he had the dominance, but he didn't have enough damage. And when you don't have that, when it's only two of the D's, it's to be considered. You don't have to give it. And if a judge feels there's not enough damage, it's not a ten eight. It's a ten nine. So. The only way it's guaranteed 10 8 is when you have damage, you have dominance, and you have the duration. Any combination of the other two to be considered, but not guaranteed. So I think that is the biggest thing with, with 10 8s. And that I think is a clarification you, you should look at in your mind at the end of every round that you think might be a 10 8. That's how you figure it out. It's, you know, it's written there in black and white. And we, look, we, we're still going to disagree, but I think it's uh, my, my friend uh, Ben Carlage was the best judge in the world. always said it's not it's not a science. It's a science of understanding. Uh, it's, it's not a science of agreement. It's a science of understanding. Uh, and I think that's uh, that would be my two biggest things. I could pick out a thousand things probably when I'm judging, <laughs> but there's my two. But that, that, that in itself is, I think, made something clear in my head about a fight that I wasn't sure of, but also slightly confused me about another one. So do you remember Lauren Murphy, uh, Joanne Calderwood? Oh, God almighty. May I refresh so it was only, <laughs> so it, was, it was relatively recently. I think from, from what I remember, Calderwood won the first round. Then Lauren Murphy... Well, actually, no. I think the first round was... It was their recent fight. Mm-hmm. And, and I have Cal- the worst Cal- memory Cal- ever, Murphy. by the way. <laughs> no. Well, that's because you watch so oh, much as well. Yeah, so yeah. you can be forgiven for that. But it's like... Um, Caldwood Murphy, round one, was pretty 50-50, I think. But I think Joanne won that round. Mm-hmm. Round two was one where I felt, shit, could that actually be a 10-8 to Lauren Murphy? And then round three, I thought, was clearly JoJo's round. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking... And it came out as a 29-28. Uh, and Lauren Murphy won it. And I was a bit confused because I was like, I would have scored that probably a draw Mm -hmm. because I thought uh, Calderwood won rounds one and three, but round two could have been a 10-8. But now what you're telling me, I don't remember that there was necessarily a huge amount of damage. She had the dominance and the duration. Mm -hmm. And so if anything, I think Joanne Calderwood should have won that fight. I am slightly biased because we had her on the show slightly before (laughs) she fought. So I'm slightly biased in that and I'll admit that totally. Mm -hmm. But um, but that first round, I suppose, could technically have gone either way. But that's maybe cleared that up for me of why that wasn't a 10-8 round, even though I slightly maybe still disagree with the judging decision. Mm-hmm. But then Connor Dustin at the, at the weekend, mm-hmm. two judges scoring that 10-8. Really, I was like, Connor was throwing the up kicks. He was doing the elbows from the bottom. Don't get me wrong. Dustin won that round 10-9 in my head. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the elbows from the bottom were not as damaging as the punches and elbows from the top. But the fact that Connor was still throwing the elbows, throwing the up kicks and landing some of them made me think it's not a 10-9. Mm-hmm. And I think you even pointed out on your podcast, the ankle or shin or tibia, whatever it is that, that broke, that was not because of Dustin. Mm-hmm. That was because of, you know, a freak incident or whatever it was. It, you know, someone blocking a kick with their elbow or the kick. That's, that's, you're not doing that on purpose. You're, just, you're, you're kind of trying to protect your body, but you're not trying to break mm-hmm. their leg with an elbow there or anything. So the 10 there really kind of threw me. I was quite shocked that those rounds were, were scored 10-8. The, the thing about that, though, right? So McGregor broke his ankle and he got hit with, what, eight or nine ground-upon shots in the last 10 seconds of a round, right? So 
I don't know about you. I, I when he went when he kind of fell backwards, I wasn't sure. I was like, was he hit with a punch? Did he break his? I, I knew the leg was uh, hurt straight away, right? But I'm watching on television on you know 1080p HD, looking straight at it, and I see the punches, and I've time to think about it, and I've seen 100 replays since before I get to talk on my podcast. Those people, right? McGregor breaks his ankle, falls down. One, two, three, four, five. You pick up your book and the judging, you have to write down 10 8 there. That's the amount of time they have to think about it. That's they see no replays, they don't go back, they don't know if McGregor got you know he was delayed, the kick was checked and Poirier broke it. They don't know whether he was knocked down, they might have had a bad angle and not seen it. But then what we had afterwards was a barrage of strikes where Conor McGregor was almost finished right at the end. I think from the, the second McGregor, before he took that step back and broke his ankle, that was a 10-9 round to Poirier. I think all three judges probably would have given a 10-9. The fact that he collapsed backwards and took 10 unanswered blows at the end of the round moves that. Because when you look at it, we'll, we'll, we'll go to our 3Ds again, right? Did he have a dominance for a long duration, Poirier? I would say no. I, I think he was on top for what, maybe a minute and a half, two minutes of that round, doing good work. But McGregor did good work there as well. But did he have the damage? I think at the end of that round, Conor McGregor broke his ankle and it wasn't deemed an illegal strike. That That is a thing that's big as well. If Look, if that was deemed, and it wasn't an illegal strike, but let's say it was deemed an illegal strike, the judges wouldn't score that to, uh, to Dustin Poirier. But the fact it wasn't deemed illegal leaves this place where the judges are not sure where it happened and they, all they see is Conor McGregor collapsing and taking 10 unanswered blows. Even if you have, the, like said, the 10 unanswered blows by themselves, he's covering up with absolutely no defence with huge impactful strikes going. So there's, there's damage and there's big damage in that round from that alone. So you have one of the Ds, I would say, in that round. So that is a 10-8 to be considered. So... Let's remember again, it's not, it's not a, a science of agreement, it's a science of understanding. There's one D, the most important one, damage. So can you understand why someone gave a 10-8? I can. I personally, I would have given it a 10-9 probably, but I can 100% understand why someone gave it a 10-8. And I think that is kind of, that's the explanation for it. Like, I'm not here, you know, PR, the judges, uh, if you're, you're, you're talking about, um, you're talking about explaining why a, a fight is, is um, given one way. You know, the judges disagreed. One judge gave it a 10-9. And I think that tells the story. It was close. And it was it was unsure. And it's very hard, very, very difficult to see. Like, there's 15 seconds between McGregor breaking his ankle and him writing down that score. The amount of pressure and the amount of calculations you have to do in your head to say, does that do enough to move it from a 10-9 to a 10-8? Did Paria break that leg? Is the leg broken? Did he get knocked down with a punch? Are the punches at the end of the round big enough alone? If he was, if he just fell down or if he twisted an ankle or whatever it was to turn it into a 10-8, I would not ever criticize the judges for that yeah. amount of pressure, the amount of calculations they have to do in that second. And look, I don't think any of them got it horrendously wrong, to be honest. Okay. I mean, we, we spoke about Diaz Lola, which you know, a few years ago, I don't think any of us had ever thought that that fight would have happened. I want to ask you, Sean, um, for a fight that never happened that you felt should have. Oh, I, I would have loved to have seen uh, Fedor Minioninko versus Brock Lesnar. Uh, 
I think that would have oh. been oh wow. <laughs> I think that would have been fantastic. Uh I'd still love to see John Jones versus Brock. I love a Brock Shaw. It's just it, there's something exciting about it. He's just such a big oh, fucking barreling hunk of Canadian meat coming into that, <laughs> that, that, that octagon. It's such it's brilliant. I love like I'd love to see him fight Francis Ngannou. Fuck the rest of them. Let him overtake him on and get straight into a title shot. I don't care. I, mean, I love a Brock Lesnar fight, to be honest. But uh, yeah, there's. I'm not a big like a lot of people probably come on here would say maybe GSP versus Anderson Silva. I was never that taken aback by that one or never that up for that one. Like, it would have been great if it had happened. Uh, and you know, Anderson versus Jones was one at the time that I really wanted to happen. Obviously, that didn't mm-hmm. happen. But um, yeah, if I had to pick out one, it probably would be would be Brock versus Fader because that would have been huge, and it would have been that uh, Dallas Texas Stadium as well, which you know was, was talked about for years but never uh, never actually happened. Yeah, that'd be an incredible fight. I would never have put that one together in my, if I had a list. That's uh, that's a great shot, mate. Yeah, it's, it's look. They, they tried to do it, but I, I think um, Fedor's father died. I think, and they had like an agreement uh, to do the fight, and uh, Fedor pulled out then because he didn't want to fight at the time, and then ended up fighting, signing for Bellator a couple of years later, and you know he kind of a half a retirement for a while. So yeah, it was it was supposed to happen, but uh, it yeah. fell through unfortunately. Well, Sean, we know we're we're running short on time now. We've had you for a very long time. We're really appreciative of that. Um, for our last question, can we just ask you, there's another thing that's been in the news of late, and I wanted to get your take on it as well, because it's an interesting one in that I'm sort of excited for the fight, but the manner in which it came about and the label of it has slightly frustrated a lot of people in the kind of MMA world. And Dana White seems to have come out and gone basically... I don't really care what you think. Mm. Um, and that's the Cyril Garn derek Lewis fight because, you know, it's only been like three or four months since Nganu beat Stipe. And, and, you know, there's no problem with the fight. I thought Lewis was front runner other than John Jones to, to, to fight Nganu. <laughs> but now they're going, oh, we're going to make this an interim title fight. And in the end of the day it's going to get them pay-per-view points. It's good for the UFC because they get two title fights on their next pay-per-view, even though one's an interim. Um, and it makes that whoever wins that fight and takes on Ngannou, maybe it's a bit more exciting because it's technically champion versus champion. But is it feels almost slightly disrespectful to Ngannou when he was the front runner, the number one contender for such a long time where we were alternating between Stipe and DC and all that stuff. And he never got an interim title fight. Yeah. And three months into his reign, they announced an interim title fight. What What was your take on that? Do you think that it doesn't really matter at the end of the day or that, you know, there has been a bit of a, maybe a lack of respect shown? Mm-hmm. I think it's more disrespectful to Amanda Nunes, who's now pushed into the co-main event with the real title. Yeah, and the, great point. The greatest yeah. female fighter we've ever seen. Now, arguably one of the greatest fighters we've ever seen. Never anyone is dominant. I'm, couldn't be a bigger fan of Amanda Nunes, and that was the part I had most uh, most problem with. Look, I, I, I uh, every every year, well, I, I've done it maybe twice or three times. Though, I do this thing where I do my like uh, hopes for the year or my um, my New Year's resolution, and I think it was 2019 or something. Feels like a thousand years ago now at this age, but it was to not complain about matchmaking as much when it's a good fight. So. You know, the, the position they're put in, let's say if it's, there's there's two lads who are coming right up and it's an obvious number one contender fight, but then they actually make another fight. 
but that's a great fight too. I'm not going to complain that much about that. This is one of those ones where it's a good fight. It's a great fight. I think it makes a lot of sense. If they had made this and it was a number one contender fight, I'd love this fight. I think it was fantastic. So I'm not going to complain too much. Like the interim thing is weird, obviously. And we know why they did it because they have spots to fill and they have so many spots to fill that they don't have enough titles and they don't have enough people on the roster that they're they're turning around quick uh, quickly enough. And especially with, you know, people not being able to travel and, and different things. Um, that's the reason why they did it. The, my big issue with this is... <sighs> Sometimes you become like ambivalent to these sort of things. And I felt it very hard to care or to get like, to get mad over this because we've seen it happen so many times. The UFC once made an interim title fight the day someone was crowned champion. Jose Aldo was given the UFC featherweight belt. And on the same day, they made an interim fight between Anthony Pettis and Max Holloway. The same day. It's, it's absolutely crazy. So the UFC, uh, look, they're going to do this. It's, will it lead? Look, it leads, I think, Cyril Gagne will beat Derek Lewis uh, pretty handily, to be honest. If that leads mm. Cyril Gagne versus Francis Ngannou after a good fight between uh, Lewis and Gagne, I'm happy enough with that, to be honest. The the interim thing, the biggest issue I have with it is the Demisha Tate, or the, sorry, the Amanda Nunes and Misha Tate obviously fighting yeah. this weekend. Um, but uh, yeah, like I don't, I I don't care too much. If I if I said if I came on here and I said I cared, I'd be lying to be to be honest. But I'm <laughs> I'm looking forward to the fight. I think it should be fun. Absolutely, absolutely brilliant, Sean. Thank you so much for your time today, mate. It's been a real pleasure to uh, to get your knowledge and wisdom uh, on so many questions that uh, we've been mulling over. We was really hyped for this one, so really, really appreciate your time, buddy. Thanks, lads. Anytime, I'd, I'd love to be on again. I really appreciate it, and uh, I love I love what you do. Like uh, uh, covering MMA and getting on and doing it every week and talking to people isn't isn't easy, and I think you do a, a great job of it. So fair play, and thanks for having me on. Oh, really appreciate it, Matt. Thank you thanks, very much. Lads. Lovely. Thanks, lads. Well, what a great chat. That was good, wasn't it? Yeah, some proper wisdom now. That is that is proper wisdom. I love that. I love the talk about the, the judging and everything. And it was nice to hear his take on on the Connor situation because those 10A cards were bothering me, but I yeah. think the way he explained it made me go, oh, that, that kind of does make sense. And, and judging must be so hard. You, yeah. you, you judges get a lot of stick, and yet he's right. They've got seconds to analyse it live, no replays, and then write it down in their little book and stuff. It's it's going to be a hard job to do. Absolutely. And, and the point that he made there about Nunes being bumped down the card, I thought that was something I hadn't even thought about. And I just thought, God, yeah, that's that's a really, really important thing that you just said there. And I'm, you know, I'm not cool with that. It doesn't make sense. But No, yeah. she's the GOAT. She yeah, is the GOAT absolutely. of you know, female MMA. She, she should be able to headline a card. I mean, Ronda was headlining cards. Yeah. I know that she was technically like a bigger popular star, but... In terms of being the absolute goat, you should be able to market Nunes. Maybe that's the situation with the marketing of certain fighters. I I really don't know, but but that was another great point. And it was just lovely to chat to him and just someone that's, you know, he's been covering the sport for a really, really long time at the top level to the point where the UFC really value his opinion as well. And uh, he still talks about it with loads of enthusiasm and a big smile on his face. So absolute top lad. Absolute top lad. Um, if this is your first time listening to the podcast um, and you enjoyed it, then go and get stuck into our back catalogue because uh, over 30 episodes now and you can hear us talking to uh, UFC champions, uh, former UFC champions, um, a whole 
barrage of UFC fighters, Bellator fighters, Cage Warriors fighters, um, referees. Uh, oh, and people off the telly box as well. Who we had off people the telly box? People off the telly box. We've had uh, comedian Lee Mack. We've had uh, uh, James Arthur. We have had uh, Emily Head from The Inbetweeners, Laura Checkley from King Gary, uh, Thomas Turgoose from This Is England. We've had loads of people. And uh, yeah, go and get stuck into that. And uh, if you haven't subscribed yet, subscribe so you don't miss out. And uh, leave us a little cheeky, you know, five-star review thing. You know, be nice, be kind, say some lovely words and click the old five stars and that helps us out as well. Absolutely. And we're on all the social media platforms, so give us a, a like, love, share, retweet, all the usual stuff that you can do over there. And, uh, and feel free to drop us a message over there as well. And we'll be back next time. We'll see you soon. Bye, guys. Bye, guys.